it. Let's tune into Brad and Brit. It is the Brad and Brit cast, and it's our last one for this week, and we're going to make it a good one. If you're live with us here in the 1.30 Eastern hour, uh, you can see Park Pewterbaugh with us, our uh, our old friend. Um, haven't had him on. I, what was it like before the, uh, not before the last election, but uh, I can't remember what the excuse was the last time. It was back in the spring, I think, sometime. Yeah, we don't need an yeah. excuse. Yeah. 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 And, of course, if you don't know who Park is, get out of here. Just go away. <laughs> you know, Park is, is, is truly, truly one of the great legendary uh, rock writers of our generation or any generation and still keeps his toes in, in that part of his life. He's an instructor at Guilford College. He's a proud graduate of Grimsley High School and UNC Chapel Hill <laughs> in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Park Pewterbaugh. Great to have you here. Hey, great to be what, back. What, and you know, I, I texted you, I don't know, Sunday or, or Monday, because I saw you post on Facebook that you had just gone out to L.A., for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony last weekend, right. and, and this is this is an intrusive, obnoxious. Was this on your dime, or, or was somebody paying for you to go out there? Well, the way it works is they put a, a a book together, an induction program, and it's like a book. It's really pretty credible, and uh, I'm asked to write for it, and in lieu of payment of monetary <laughs> compensation um i get to attend this thing and i get to go to all the parties before and after and and uh you know sit at a table and um so that's what all i get but i had to fly myself out there i had to put myself up i had to rent a car you know food and drink and all that stuff but uh, it's always a pretty good party um L.A. doesn't do it as well as Cleveland does. Cleveland, wow, really, wow! It's a, week, it's a weekend long bacchanal in Cleveland. Right. Well, because right. I mean, Park. L.A. has like a million things going on. They have like a trillion everything. You know, it, Cleveland, it's like a big deal. I mean, the city shows up for it and everything for sure. And Park. they have the museum. So, yeah, I said to Britt on the previous podcast that Cleveland is to the rock. Hall of Fame induction ceremony as Greensboro is to the ACC tournament now. It's just another city, but it, it shouldn't be because just like you said, Cleveland, when it's there, it's everything. When the yeah. ACC tournament is in Greensboro, it's everything. And, yeah. and those coaches, yeah. you hear people talk about it, that they, yeah. you know, this is a big, bigger deal for us. When it's in Brooklyn, the ACC tournament, who cares? They don't care. And I, so I, I think you're, and the sure uh, absolutely correct. And when the ceremony, the Hall of Fame ceremony, is in Brooklyn, because they rotate between Cleveland, Brooklyn, and LA. And when it's in Brooklyn, it's at the same arena that the ACC tournaments at the the, the net the Nets. Is it? Is it? Yeah, that's the Brooklyn Nets. And Jay Z is one of the owners, okay. uh, co-owners of the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, well, but there is a um, there's a rumor that he would like to be part of the ownership group that will buy the Washington football franchise. He and Jeff Bezos apparently will apparently part partner together to to buy that franchise. Nate, mm -hmm. but Cleveland does it best. Brooklyn does a pretty nice job, and L.A. You know, as you said, there's so much going on. 
it's just one of many things. Or, or, or plus, the geography of Los Angeles is such a pain in the ass yeah. to, to, oh. to move around. It just there's yes. just no way. Yes, I so, crawled in traffic uh, all yes. week. I went out for three days so I could do other things, you know, and justify the expense yeah. of a trip like that. But I don't care what time of day it is. When you're on a so-called freeway, morning, noon, night, 3 a.m. Doesn't matter. Any freeway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't not, matter. It's dysfunctional. I was looking at the minute-by-minute uh, minute, uh, little diary that the L.A. Times did. You know, they have their writers there and they, they put oh. something in us. And and I always knew that the ceremony is a lot longer than we see it when it's edited down and shown on right. HBO. Uh, a, a good friend of mine in, is from Cleveland and he's been there a couple times there. And he says it's like five to six hours. Yeah. And uh, if I'm correct, the one you just attended over the weekend was about six hours. What exactly. What is that like? Just, just that in and of itself <laughs> would seem to be pretty tough i mean i'm going to the bathroom brit in, in in six hours how many times would you go maybe five times five seven Probably. for me yeah. <laughs> that's the worst part of it uh, so it's, it's so it's all this downtime right there's just nothing going on a lot of the no time. no there's something going on every minute really? and it's so well staged managed that somebody's walking off the stage and the lights come on the other side of the stage and someone's starting a speech so there's no downtime. Wow. Oh, good. It, you're not sitting and waiting. It is a six-hour show. Um, mm. And it lasted from 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. So and I didn't, is... I didn't get out of my seat. I sat there for six hours. Not one bathroom break. Well, that, I mean, that would be the good thing is I'd be running to the bathroom so much they would think I'm on cocaine, which is fashionable. They would be like, oh, he's one of us. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, I guzzled like three beers at the pre- <laughs> party and still manage not to have to get I, uh, well but you know what they, they should just show it unexpurgated just uh, from yeah. beginning to end I, would people like it that way if they could see it that way i don't see why they wouldn't yeah. uh especially if you could dvr it and fast forward through the bits you're not so interested in you know mm. so well, i saw if we're, among if we're willing to sit there and listen to peyton manning and eli manning yak during a football game <laughs> <You're great>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. football games last four hours come yeah. on yeah yeah so yeah. among yeah. among the things that i saw one of the highlights was they did a little tribute to jerry lee lewis who just left us and uh, i think it was great balls of fire i think john mellencamp was involved and they had a you know an all-star band doing various it was, stuff uh, it was a duet between bruce springsteen and john mellencamp trading verses on great balls of fire I think that gives us a good opportunity to kind of launch into a discussion about uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. I don't think there's anybody that would argue is not one of the great architects of rock and roll, one of the early voices that made it popular and, right. and gave it some sort of, you know, attitude and spunk. But then, of mm -hmm. course, you, you read about all of the awful things about the young girls and all of that stuff, which is something that has permeated throughout rock and roll. And uh, we always you get in this. Two wives, right? Right. Well, you, 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 again, the, the, the question of the 21st century is separating the artist from the art, mm -hmm. whether mm -hmm. it's Bill Cosby or whether it's going to be R. Kelly or whatever you talk about. And, and some of the stuff that Jerry Lee Lewis was doing back in the day may have been somewhat of a precursor to the stuff that R. Kelly was doing a little bit later on. I know that 
I don't know if did, did I mention did I did we talk about the Led Zeppelin book the last time that we talked in the spring? I don't know if I had gotten into that at that time. Whose book was that? I can't remember the gentleman who who wrote it, but I was listening to the Sound Opinions, the uh, the Jim DeRogata show. He, he, people know that one because it's been on public radio and has been for many years. And they go, well, coming up next week, we've got a guy who wrote a book about Led Zeppelin, and it's the good and the bad and the ugly and everything. So they had him on, and I went, well, hang on, Led Zeppelin, the ugly, I'm in. I listened to the book, and they get into – all of the stuff, I mean, Jimmy Page really, really, really was into young girls. And I mean, like really obscenely, obviously illegal young girls. So I hear an interview with the author on the, uh, the, the opposing, the next episode of Sound Opinions. And he goes, I had to make a deal with my wife. First of all, I couldn't call these people that Jimmy Page was sleeping with women. They weren't. They were, they were girls. And then second of all, at some point, I just had to cut it off or the entire book would have been just that. So he has a nice hunk of it that addresses that stuff and is very honest about it. Uh, and, and again, when we talk about Jerry Lee Lewis, when we talk about some of the greats, Chuck Berry, anybody with rock and roll, again, where, where do you kind of stand on, all right, we, we pretty much have to celebrate Jerry Lee Lewis as a performer and a contributor to this art form of rock and roll. But That's at some right. point, do you have to, do you put the asterisk there? Is it in parentheses that he also in his private life, did some really awful stuff? Uh, um, yeah, it's a great, great question. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen the footage of him landing in London back in 58, 57, 58 for his tour. And he's met by press people and he has his arm around this young woman. And it's, it's his wife. She's 13. Yeah. He's uh his cousin and he's not divorced yet from his first wife so you have bigamy and, and uh you know she's 13 but her own statement was you know well back in the hills you know we we would marry if we were 10 right if we could find a husband you know that's uh but i i don't know do i i love jerry lee lewis uh lewis's music a lot and I like Chuck Berry's music a lot. And at what point do you stop listening to these people because you disapprove of things that they did in their private life? Maybe Jerry Lee Lewis more so than the others because of the allegations of murder. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so far as I know, the others haven't killed anybody. Uh, that's well, your line. So that's your was, line. Was Jerry, was Jerry Lee Lewis an election denier? Because that would be it for me. <laughs> I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've even heard him talk politics. To yeah. Tell you the truth. yeah. I'm just kidding. I don't know if that was part of his wheelhouse, uh, but I was reading up on him. You know, he nearly died in 1981. He had a, a stomach hemorrhage from all oh, his drinking yeah. and pill abuse and, you know, just barely skated by. The fact that he lived to the age of 87, and whereas the others have all passed over the years, ranging from Buddy Holly dead at 22 in a plane crash to losing them one by one over the years, Chuck Berry yeah. Yeah. Uh, made it to a ripe old age. He just died a few years ago. Right. Now, Park, we have a rule on the Brad and Britcast. Whenever somebody, you know, 
wonderful dies, we always go, why is that person dead and Trump is still alive? We always, yeah. <laughs> we always bring that into it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, uh, that this latest, you know, he, he's so upset. He's lashing out at everybody's lashing out at Melania. You know, he's, this was my thought. You tell me if I'm wrong here, but he's screaming at everybody because they gave him bad advice. I thought he knew everything. <laughs> he's the I didn't know he took person. advice. He knows he more than the generals, you know? Don't you but, understand that when he's right about something, it's all him. But when something goes wrong, he's gotten bad advice. Uh-huh. That's how well, that's literally how it works in his life. Let me well, clean the, that up a little bit. The Led Zeppelin book was written by Bob Spitz about a year ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bob sure. Spitz, I think. I believe he was part of the management team of Springsteen back in the, the heyday of, of Springsteen, correct? I don't know about that, but I do know he wrote a huge Dylan book, too. Yeah. Might have written one on the doors as well. Uh, I can I can recommend the Zeppelin if you I mean if you are in and by the way the guys on Sound Opinions were worshipful of of I, I think Dear Goddess was worshipful of that band when he was growing up and yeah. then eventually after a while just became completely disgusted <laughs> over a period oh. of time. Yeah, the the mud you you know Zappa's Mud Shark the, yeah. the song Mud Shark was written well, about what Led Zeppelin supposedly did. And that, yeah. that story in and of itself is kind of even worse when, when they get into some of the details. <laughs> the, just to, I don't want to, I don't want to put a spoiler in there, but John Paul Jones really is kind of the, the, the bad guy in this situation. Cause he's always kind of the guy peeping in through the peephole and looking, but not bothering to do anything. So he would have plausible deniability. Hey, I wasn't involved. Well, you watched it all go down and apparently you were at least sexually gratified in some way by it. And you decided not to help these women who may or may not have been in distress and been drugged up to their gills. Right. Mm, right. <laughs> The bass players, they're always the silent ones who are on the periphery, you know, just kind of watching everything go down. That's uh, the way it seems. It's not even, to me, that's one of the bad things about Led Zeppelin. The other is ripping off old blues artists, well, taking songs. That, that's the classic thing is the, the, the magazine you used to work for, they had the reputation for just shitting on Led Zeppelin. Left and right. The Led Zeppelin fans hated Rolling Stone magazine because they would, back when those reviews meant something, they would crap on Led Zeppelin every single time. Am I right? Um, You're right about the first two albums. And that was, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy, the writer, um, what his name was. And I didn't agree with those reviews. I (laughs) I really didn't. I thought, you know, he was dead wrong. and I was just like 15 at the time or something right. like that when those records came out. Um, yeah. A, uh, what was his name? Jeez. John Mendelssohn was, that was the guy. He was the guy that was like the real hatchet man on Zeppelin. On Zeppelin. And I thought that got the relationship off to a rocky start. Now it got repaired <laughs> when they sent Cameron Crowe to yeah. do a cover story and he made nice with them. And, you know, that's, that's where that, I saw the uh, I saw the reviews of the Broadway version of Almost Famous. Mm-hmm. Little Are rough, they... yeah. <laughs> little, little rough on it. Uh, it, it was it was one of those. You know, sometimes you make a movie that really becomes well accepted, well loved, still shown. You should stop there. Everything right. doesn't have to go to Broadway. That, yeah, that, that was the, uh, the, the leave thing. well enough alone. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know the extent of Cameron's involvement. Did he write the screenplay? I think he's. I think he was really definitely involved with it. I, I love. I I love Cameron Crowe. He's one of my favorite directors. It's been a rough twenty five years for Cameron. Unfortunately, I mean, uh, I, when I've, it, what was it? Vanilla Sky and uh, yeah. Uh, a terrible Elizabeth Town and Elizabeth Town was very bad. I think Almost Famous was Aloha. probably the last. Although I think you're going to kill me for this one, but I think We Bought a Zoo has some redeeming qualities. That yeah. one is a very authentic, good. That's a nice movie. Aloha oh, yeah. was very bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he did. He also did a uh, documentary on on Pearl Jam, that was pretty which good. was which was excellent. That mm-hmm. that he redeemed himself in, of course. Right. Yeah. Because he was yeah. a part yeah. of all of that. Yeah. You know, Park, since I sent you a text three days ago, four days ago, the world has changed. The world Mm -hmm. has changed a lot politically. And uh, people like us, we get to sit back and watch the uh, and I don't even want to use the the just painfully cliched phrase of circular firing squad, because it's well beyond that Mm -hmm. to to sit back now and watch every conservative publication pundit idiots on fox all of them suddenly figure out that donald trump is just not good for anything is quite rich beyond as as they you know put put ron DeSantis on 15 times a day he's their Uh he's their new boy the new york post goes after trump that they all go after him but from our point of view and this is kind of obvious. And by the way, the Democrats' strategy to boost MAGA candidates because they would be easier to beat in the election has turned out to work, for the most part, pretty, pretty well. well. Yeah. Remember that one? Remember that one? Okay. I guess it's money well spent. I don't know if I'd like my dollars, my yeah. donor dollars, going to support a MAGA candidate right. uh, because of that backwards logic that you know right. they'll. They'll be easily beatable. But, you know, in in terms of fighting fire with fire, you know, I thought that was a good call. But look at it this time. Now, we actually want Trump to be the extremely beatable general election nominee because there is just and the best way for him to become the nominee is for there to be a wide, big field, just like there was in 2016, so that... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis, uh, America's uh, golden boy of bullshit now, uh, doesn't have a clear shot, right? Because that's how Trump won the last time. He won with 30 or 35 percent of the primary votes, and mm-hmm. the rest of it was split among, you know, 14 16 candidates. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, it's, you've seen. It's, you've seen the stories now in the past 48 to 72 hours. The Murdoch family is all in on Ron DeSantis. The yes. Murdoch family yes. loves Ron DeSantis with a passion. Like Elizabeth Taylor has nothing on this, right? Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor, ain't got shit on what the Murdoch family is feeling for Ron DeSantis right now. <laughs> well, I, I think every, you know, he can make trouble. He would blow up the Republican Party as readily as he would blow up democracy. And don't think he's not going down without a fight. I think it could be just hellish when it gets in the skirmishes between him and uh, DeSantis. And 
He'll take no prisoners. Right. He's he's obviously a political suicide bomber at a at a certain point. And does anyone doubt that he wouldn't run as the third party candidate to fuck over the Republicans and Ron DeSantis? If, say, Ron DeSantis romped his way through the primaries, that the Trump would just sit back there and and allow it to happen. I mean, maybe I'm wrong on this. Check me, boy. Not a team player. (laughs) <laughs> does not play well with others That's, right yeah. right most yeah. definitely and i'd never thought of that but you're absolutely right he would do a third party run out of spite everything's revenge oriented yeah I, I have to look in google and see if anybody has put a copyright on the maga party because that would be that that would be what he would do right it would be him <laughs> and marjorie taylor green that would be your ticket for 2024 right there in the maga yeah. party yeah yeah Oh, that this could be fun. Yeah. Could be fun. Now, can can we just bring it a little bit closer to home here? And and I did notice this yesterday, and I I had some fun with it on on Facebook, uh, turning a a uh, an answer on Jeopardy uh, to uh, what two letters disappeared and then reappeared with a white stiff Republican backbencher, North Carolina senator, and the answer is Burr to Bud. Two R's to two D's. How did that happen? How did that happen? Um, you've been here longer than I have. You and Britt both have, have, have seen this forever. Mm-hmm. And it's happened again. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. T- t- I mean, Ted Budd would be about the only candidate. And, and I don't think that uh, uh, Bud was the beneficiary of, of Democratic money. It wasn't that situation here. No. But... He did suck up to Trump and he did deny election results and he did vote to not certify that 127 signatures. Of, so he for all intents and purposes, he is one of those people. Yeah. And this state elected him. It's a, it's an embarrassment. It's a disgrace. Oh, totally. Totally. I wonder what made the difference. I mean, was it the dark money ads The you know, did that remind you of the Jesse Helms ad about I could have used that job? The idea that Cherry Beasley was sacrificing young children, uh, you know, th- I, it was a hideous commercial. I thought I would I would I, I questioned the television stations that would even air such a thing, you know, um. I, it's funny that you mentioned Jesse Helms because there were there was a period of time when he would kind of roll out these candidates that were Jesse clones that would be kind of acceptable to his base. Locke Faircloth was kind of that. Even Locke Faircloth yeah. had kind of a, um, a a political past of his own and had accomplished some stuff on his own. Jim Broyhill was like another guy that they tried to run. It was just like a Jesse clone. It's like, here, take this. You don't know it, but it's kind of like me, so just go ahead and vote for it. And Ted Budd, under the Jesse Helms kind of criteria he would have been a perfectly acceptable candidate he doesn't really say anything that's terribly offensive he doesn't he just goes after the libs and as an added bonus he walks around packing all the time yeah right right (laughs) i i don't know about that i you know maybe sherry beasley ran too cautious and tepid a campaign maybe she should have been more fiery in responses and not talking about, you know, uh, Congress, you know, I'm, I'm opposed to Congress uh, playing in the stock market. Is that really what the issue is here? Yeah, right. I know. 
I know. And, and uh, uh, Nate Cohn, Nate Cohn of the uh, New York Times has written and uh, today on the New York Times Daily pointed out in states where abortion and or democracy itself was front and center. It turns out that the Democrats really, really did good across the country. And abortion wasn't on the docket here that much, right? Because North Carolina still is a place that's considered along the East Coast, a place where you can still get abortion. They haven't because we're only one, what, state representative away from being able to veto every to override Roy Cooper's veto. And we would have shitty laws here like South yeah. Carolina. Mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. But so far, so far that is, so it, it, nobody thought of that as really being on the ballot. And Sherry Beasley, look, for North Carolina to have sent Sherry Beasley to the Senate would have been a wonderful historical feather in our cap to kind of reestablish North Carolina as not Alabama, right? A purple, not state. Mississippi. We, you know, we, we would be back to Terry Sanford kind of stuff here, right? But we 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 just can't do it. We can't help ourselves, and uh, it just it's it's heartbreaking. It's disgusting. I hate it. I don't want to have to defend it to anybody across the country on the phone. Tom Tillis. And Ted Budd are our senators. My God. <laughs> it's horrible. Did you read the things Pence was saying about Bud? You know, it made him sound like George Washington. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How can you say this shit with his great face? Well, uh, Mike, you know, Mike Pence, forget. I mean, here he's coming out, and the, the uh, excerpts are out there today already, and he's written a column, I think, in the Wall Street Journal this day. And now he's talking. He's really telling the truth about what a hunk of shit Donald Trump is, was, and always will be, and what he was willing to say directly to Mike, blah, blah, blah. And and this is like a replay of the whole John Bolton thing. You have to talk when it matters. Why did, first of all, why didn't they call him in front of the January 6th committees? I don't get that. Mm -hmm. And why didn't he volunteer? Is this really a case of a guy saying, I'm not going to talk until I can make money from it in a book mm. is every one of them that way or, or is, is the guy yeah, here, here, yeah here's the broad is the guy who some people believe is kind of heroic for standing up to trump right and not trying to stop the process on january 6th and 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 hanging in there not listening to trump is that the same guy who now is talking instead of doing what he needed to do in between January 6th and today. At any point, if he would have spoken up, it would have been a lot better. He could have swayed Republicans to vote to convict Donald Trump in the second impeachment. I have no question about it. If everything that he's saying right now is true, and I have no reason to believe it's not true, even though Donald Trump will say nothing that Mike Pence is saying is true, Pence is a liar. Good luck with that, Don. Um, it's it's unbelievable. These guys who won't talk when it matters, they won't well, talk. Well, except for a handful of Republicans, it's all political calculation. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a cynical thing that's going on there. I think Pence now has landed on the fact that the January 6th riot was uh, an insurrection was the Lincoln Project's fault. That's that's like his latest quote. When they ran that ad and Donald Trump saw it, that's what really gave him the idea that, hey, I can go ahead and start this and do this. And and he's trying to blame all that shit on the uh, the Lincoln Project. Right. That's like, uh, you know, blaming uh, Trump's election in, in the first place on Obama for teasing him. <laughs> That's right. Well, Obama did insist on being black. And I got to be honest with you, that was infuriating for some people, apparently. And now, if if people are paying attention, they should know that North Carolina is this far away from becoming Wisconsin, Mm. which would mean a state that is 100% Republican run from, from top to bottom. And there's nothing to stop them from passing all the same kind of crap. And we do become Alabama or, or Mississippi or, or, or South Carolina. Rejoin the Confederacy. Right. We're, we're, we're this close to it. And uh, you can see ahead here in North Carolina two years from now, you know who wants to be the governor on the Republican side. That slob Mark Robinson, who oh. is just I mean, he is just dreadful. He's oh. he's dreadful. But, you know. Uh, maybe by then his his Trump credentials will not be a positive at all. Well, they've got and I've, I've said this for a while now. And, and Park, you can you can comment on this because you've been aware of Mark Robinson. He's openly homophobic, openly misogynistic, openly transphobic, unapologetic. Uh, he goes to churches and talks about how gay people are awful and terrible and all. I'm sure that he's on board with children trying to cut off uh, with teachers trying to cut off children's penises. And uh, ostensibly, by the way, these are the same people that Republicans want to have guns, the same teachers that want to be packing, the ones that would cut off uh, children's penises. Uh, they're going to have a real problem with with Mark Robinson coming up in 2024 if they decide, uh, Mark, uh, I, I'm, I know we can't tell you to tone it down because that ain't possible. We're going to have to ask you to step back and let this guy, who is a white guy and is going to be way more palatable to the electorate, we're going to have to let him run. I think Mark Robinson will freak out and go nuts. Mm, I, I agree. But I wonder who they have waiting in the wings that they would view as a preferable. Oh, it's another brainless Ted Bud. It's another guy. It's it, with standard white guy haircut number two. He can appear in ads putting a gun down his britches, too. They've got an assembly line of those guys they can pull out and run, Park. What I want to I, I want really want to see a breakdown of who voted and who didn't vote in this election. Why did she uh, Beasley not get more votes in, in in a in a state where theoretically aren't there more registered Democrats? There there are, and I saw I was telling Brad I saw the if you look this will drive you crazy. Since you you and I and Brad have been here for a while, if you look at that Harvey Gantt versus Jesse Helms map from 1990 and you look at the Sherry Beasley versus Ted Budd uh, map from 2022 and you just lay the it's almost exactly the same counties voting in the same way in uh-huh. a population. Supposedly, that's changed. We had more people die and people move in and go to different areas and stuff like that. But apparently it's still these these outlier eastern counties and western counties that are supporting the Republican, and then it's just the metropolitan areas that are, sep- uh, you know, the supporting the Democratic candidate, and that's just the way it's always going to yeah. be. And, and Republicans win those counties, you know, eighty to twenty. Yeah, and so the even though there's only you know forty thousand people in them, you add them all together, and suddenly you have 
you have a substantial number. And I know that Sherry Beasley went out of her way to go to every every county and and, yeah. and talk to people, but but I don't think I don't think that uh, obviously that was not enough. I, we talked about this on the podcast, you know, months ago. We were disgusted at the lack of national attention given to this race because yeah. all you would hear <laughs> when you would hear about competitive races, the, the they just say, well, it's a, it's Wisconsin, it's Arizona, it's Pennsylvania and Nevada. And they would never mention North Carolina. And it, it never made any sense to me. And no, why, no. why why Barack Obama was not dispatched to be here yes. last week, I will never yes. know. Absolutely. It was a winnable seat. It was a winnable seat. Ted Budd is a cipher. He's He's a stooge. He's just a hand puppet for the... MAGA agenda, and he just does as he's told. He is exactly what they want, which is a pliable yay vote on everything they, or nay vote on everything, you know, he, he just goes everywhere. He's as brainless a, a politician as I've ever seen. He's like a Ken doll with yeah. a whole. As, as good as they did at the National Party on organizing some place and getting some of the, the young voters out and stuff like that, they did just a, a horrible job like in Ohio and here with those Senate races. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly how to explain the dichotomy from they, they were brilliant at organizing and here, here and here and delivering and doing this stuff. We got the runoff in Georgia and they did very well with that. By the way, I don't know if you've seen, since the Republicans have lost the youth vote, now there are some whispers in the Republican Party, we got to raise that voting age up to 21. That's what we oh, got to do. It's in the Constitution. We, Come on, man. It's uh, in the Constitution now. Okay. We got to change, we gotta change that. I mean, don't, don't try to appeal to them. Don't try to have policies that might reach out to those young people. Just fuck them. Raise it to 21. That's what we got to do. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. Didn't the money guy for the DNC lose his seat? Uh, yeah. Mahoney, is that his name? Maloney. Oh, Sean Patrick Maloney in, in yeah. New York. Yeah, he, he was uh, he was a victim of, of gerrymandering up there, yeah. too. There was a severe gerrymandering in the state of New York, not always advantageous to Democrats, surprisingly, because <laughs> New York's been traditionally a Democratic state, so they kind of shot themselves in the foot a few mm-hmm. times. But mm-hmm. uh, um, as, as, as we move forward with this gang, and mm-hmm. I was talking about this with Britt previously. You got to step back and, 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 and say, hey, come on, look at what Joe Biden has done in two years. And then add in the fact that in the midterm elections with approval ratings down there with Trump and Obama, he barely suffered any losses. Now, the Republicans, are, they're going to say, yeah, but uh, we're probably going to get the House. So it doesn't matter. Even if the margin's only three, we win. Well, you know what? The margin means a lot. The margin means a lot. There's a big it difference does. between being the Speaker of the House when you have a 30-vote uh, cushion versus you know a, a three-vote cushion. Just ask Chuck Schumer exactly. or Nancy Pelosi what that's like. And so, Especially uh, when you have Manchin and Cinema in your party yeah yeah but you know what in the end they did come around and they were able to be uh reasoned with just enough to get most of this stuff passed and Mm -hmm. uh it's Mm -hmm. it's kind of ironic because uh as we speak on this day thursday um it looks like it's possible that uh, we have certainly truly reached what they call peak inflation 
and the inflation numbers were were moving in the correct direction for the first time in about a year and a half, right? Yeah, why couldn't this happen last week? Right, right. (laughs) And uh, so what's that mean? And by the way, those weren't because of Joe Biden's policies today, nor was the inflation of the last year and a half solely because of Joe Biden's policies. But if you watched every Republican candidate, they thought that that was the golden arrow. To run through the heart of every Democratic nominee, it's uh, you and Joe Biden's policies that are causing bread to cost five dollars a loaf, and and uh, meat to be uh, suddenly uh, you know, five dollars a pound for shitty hamburger. And it was never true, and it won't be true on the way down. It's because of you know Federal Reserve policy and because of uh, the the natural evolution of of the way money moves and markets move. It's not going to go. We were never going to be Weimar Germany. We were never going to have to have wheelbarrows full of money to go. It was not going to be allowed to happen. So it's it's too bad this happened today. If that number, if the inflation number had come out last week before the election, the Democrats not only would have done as well as they did, they would have done a lot better. Mm. There's there's an irony to what you're saying, though. Don't you remember in 2012 before the uh, before the election, they put out a jobs number and the Republicans bitched about it because they said the the Democrats were gaming it. Do do you you remember that back in 2012? Yeah, Uh, Yeah, it's funny that you should mention that it didn't benefit them enough. And that was in the other direction. And back in 2012, they swore that the Democrats had lied about that uh, a jobs number that came out. You you are right. If this number, which, by the way, it's not like inflation is over. No, but it's 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 slowed down a lot and it's really gone in reverse in a lot of areas. If this number would have come out last week, you're right. Republicans would have claimed this was a fake number. It was fixed. That's all they've got. Speaking of high prices, having just come back from California, gas is double what it is here. Yeah. Yeah. It's over six bucks a gallon. Yeah. How do they do it? And these are people who do nothing but drive everywhere. If I'm if I'm in California, I'm paying like six bucks, six and a half bucks a gallon for gasoline to idle in traffic for 20 hours a day. I'm going nuts. Uh, I'm, you're going broke. <laughs> you're just idling there. It's also traffic. why you see more Teslas out there than any other yeah. place. You see a it's lot true. of Teslas in in California. Uh, uh, hey, Clark, hey, Clark, I got, I got you're the perfect person to ask this because Britt and I talk about this at least once a year. The famous list of rocks stars that are not in the rock and roll hall of fame oh, yeah. should be there and right. it, it frustrates the shit out of me and and i actually i thought this year was a pretty good lineup it was pretty mm-hmm. well balanced a lot there have been some pretty doggy years recently but i thought this was a pretty good one it um, was a good year and everybody performed well and everybody there's some really nice surprises i think you know my favorite being rob halford of Judas Priest, Judas Priest. duetting with Dolly Parton on Jolene. <laughs> That's no, I not. I, I, I didn't have that on my bingo card. I did <laughs> not have that. One. <laughs> well, everybody was out on stage, but the two of them are gathered around a mic, trading lines from Jolene, and he had this kind of little ironic smile on his face. But uh, yeah, Judas Priest was awesome. They played, you know, they played a little. They got inducted. They played a nice, tight set. 
he can still scream like a banshee. How does somebody, you know, that's in his seventies and that sings at that volume and with that much throatiness, how does he still do it and sound great? You know, somebody like Gordon Lightfoot, who's a folky, hasn't got a voice left. And Chris Christopherson, and you, 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 you hear a lot of these guys, but Bruce Springsteen and Rob Halford could still bring it. And, and so can Annie Lennox of uh, Eurythmics and Pat Benatar sounded incredible. Uh, what about Lionel Richie? Uh, well, you know, he's a mellow guy and, you know, very agreeable. There's nothing to dislike about him. He's just, <laughs> he's agreeable. He's, it's M-O-R music, but uh, he's a good tunesmith. I like him on American Idol, actually. Yeah, uh, Park, I saw uh, Rod Stewart about a month ago out in Las Vegas. He's got the full Caesars Palace show yeah. thing working out there. And you know what? He can still bring it. Really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't you can't be in that setting if you ain't got it anymore because mm. the, the mm. audience, they would never accept it. And uh, but, you know, the, it's just like Paul. Well, Paul McCartney, my God, he's he's even older than Rod Stewart. And uh, the reviews of him were pretty good but then some of you know what he doesn't sound exactly like he's 80 how could he he supposed to sound like yeah did either of you see him in winston yeah no i I didn't see him i I did incredible i thought he was 80 year old man he had one sip of water in three hours jesus well, and, uh, or, uh, Park, more importantly, he could climb up those stairs and back down. <laughs> okay, he, did, he didn't need the uh, automatic stair thing like you, you see advertised on TV to move up and down. Yeah, right. In, in the that, A-Corp. Uh, multi-level. multi-level All right, so let's get back to who isn't in there. That oh. Number one in my it's list. Just highway Rock. Number one on my list, because they were my favorite band for a long time. Jethro Tull. Wow. <laughs> That's hard to believe. Hmm. As, as important as they were to like progressive rock and as big as they were for a number of years that's hard to believe that they're not in there's a blind spot when it comes to british progressive bands procol harem isn't in um uh but like King crimson's not in that's and that's weird too like yes easily slid by they're they're in there right they're in there but it took i mean you know 25 years after they're eligible they finally right. So my uh, my my pet peeve one that's not in there is guess who? Yeah, I think I th- I think they should be in there. I love that band. I'd yeah. Burton Cummings and uh, oh. Randy Bachman and uh, yeah, I have a list a mile long of people. Here's one uh, that you may not have thought of is uh, Al Cooper. Oh wow! Oh. Yeah, yeah. Think about it. This is a guy That's not possible. He discovered and produced Leonard Skinner's. Yeah. No, he's kind of a he's kind of a zealot figure in rock and roll. Yeah. He played organ on like a Rolling Stone. And now was it was was Al Cooper the guy that took uh took Leonard Skinner down to Muscle Shoals? They recorded everything and they had the you know the eight not eight or nine minute version of Free Bird. He takes to the record company, they go, You gotta cut it down. No, and he goes, no, not, I, I'm not gonna. I can't cut it. There's no way I can cut it. And they were like, well, you lose the record contract. That was not him. He had okay. not entered the picture at that point. They, that was a separate thing. He they, came down there, saw him play, yeah, at some place, uh, some bucket of blood you know, around <laughs> Atlanta, and you know, realized something was going on. And he started a little 
imprint label called Sounds of the South. Yeah. Along with Capricorn, you know, they snatched up all the good Southern rock bands. But uh, Leonard Skinner was the only major Southern rock band that wasn't on Capricorn. And, before uh, before all of that happened, they take them to Muscle Shoals, they record them, they don't get the contract because the, the producer won't cut uh, he won't cut Freebird down to like a three and a half minute single for radio. They lose the contract and they're like, oh, fuck it, we got to make some money. They go on the road and that's when they open for The Who. Back when The Who was a real fucking band and people and all the reviews were like, oh, my God, these people are blowing The Who off of the stage. And that's when Leonard Skinner became like this this massive phenomenon, right? My favorite story about that is Pete Townsend taking them aside and telling them they have to calm down. They have to behave themselves. <laughs> they are too rowdy for the who. And this, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this is like 73, 74, when the who is legitimately maybe the best live rock band on the planet, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And, and Leonard Skinner's going on stage and making people like, holy shit, these guys are like way better than the who. I have to tell you, as long as we're talking about Skinner, I had this great opportunity. I've been part of this oral history project for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where they do um, uh, we do day long interviews with inductees, people who have been inducted. And there's a film crew and, you know, the instruction is just keep them talking as long as you can. And in one one or two month period, I interviewed Gary Rossington of Leonard Skinner at his home in Marietta, Georgia. I interviewed Ed King, another of the guitarists, uh, at his home outside of Nashville. And I interviewed Artemis Pyle, the drummer, at his yeah. home outside of Asheville. Yeah. You know, spent full days with those guys. I felt like I was on a Leonard Skinner tour in a strange sense, but uh, really, really wonderful guys. And, and, you know, I, I I sort of had a blind spot about them for a while, but now they're like one of, I mean, they're they're like one of my favorite bands. I, I think their their albums with Ronnie Van Zant in particular hold yeah. up as American classics. Well, that that article that came out probably Jesus God, it's been so many years ago, and it talked about how Gary was just a complete asshole in the band. Like they would have the the. Um, agreement with Judy Van Zant was that you have to have these people in the band to call the band Leonard Skinner. And Gary would invariably, what would happen is he'd invariably piss off Ed King or he'd piss off Artemis or something. They'd quit the band. And then all oh, the lawyers got to go back to the table and go, all right, this is what we're going to do. Divide it up this way, this, that, and the third. And right, this would happen over and over and over and over again, right? But they did have a, a one really nice lineup that was like a southern rock super group you had huey thomason of outlaws you had uh uh the guy from blackfoot ricky medlock yeah and that's a nice front line those two and and gary rossington jeez no that when when that band i mean it's just if you if you saw the muscle shoals documentary it's just heartbreaking you know, the whole thing is just heartbreaking when they get them and they're going to be part of the muscles and it, it just can't happen. Uh, and I was going to mention also Springsteen does have a, an album of covers. looks like he does a lot of Motown stuff. It's going to be released tomorrow. They've right. got some of the stuff out there. And one of the songs going back to Lionel Richie was Night Shift, which was the first hit the Commodores had after Lionel yeah. Richie left the band. He actually sings that one. Uh, Bono has a new book out. 
I'm going to go ahead and show you the picture there. Surrender, 40 songs in one story. You would have been at Rolling Stone when that band was really taking hold and becoming like the huge thing that it became in the 80s, right? Yeah, that's right. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, music editor at the time, Jim Hankey, um, was the one that gave Bono the book about Martin Luther King and said, you really ought to read this. And that wow. inspired him to write, uh, you know, in the name of love, pride in the name of love. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad he gave him that book. Um, if, w- imagine what he would have written if uh, he would have handed him the art of the deal. Here, read this. <laughs> <laughs> the world would be completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I also, if he could have just have told him that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in the evening on April 4, not early morning. If he could have yes. just gotten that message to him, that would have been. But to go back to Bono, here's, and this touches on something we've talked about today. Bono was courting Jesse Helms yeah. to try to, you know, uh, get him on debt. Uh, what is it? Debt forgiveness for yeah. and AIDS uh, AIDS research money as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, and they had an article and they did have an interview with him, I think in the New York times magazine, they were like, well, you I mean, God almighty, you've sat down with these people like Putin, you've met Putin and you've talked to all these people. Does it get difficult having to, you know, kind of deal with these assholes and kind of kiss the, whatever you have to do to get it done. And he's kind of like, Oh, you just, you don't even know, mate. You just don't even, I mean, you do have to reassess on some level that guy in that band because he was the face and he was the personality of that band. And he was seen from my point of view, because I was right. I was right in the demographic when that band was hitting home runs. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, these, this is a self-important fucker. Oh, my God. These guys. Could he, the narcissism involved with this band. But then after everybody left them, I loved Achtung Baby. I thought that was one of the greatest yeah. albums ever. Yeah. yeah. And, and they would uh, they would reinvent themselves a couple of times. But you, you kind of have to reassess him through history as to what he is now, right? Yes, definitely. And I, I think their last great record was All That You Can't Leave Behind. Came right. Out early 2000s that was a really strong album um you know now they're talking about we need to make a really great rock and roll album so right we'll see the edge was actually at the induction ceremony he he gave the induction speech for eurythmics oh wow yeah and he he's i've never heard him speak before but he was impressive orator not the best induction speech I ever saw was Bono inducting Bob Marley. And that was oh, wow. a powerful piece of oratory. Look, so you know, just Google that yeah. one up. If, if make can. sure I got this right. Uh, Eurythmics in. <laughs> Guess who not. Guess, right. Guess who not. Okay. Just, I'm just keeping score here. Just but there's, there's one out that you've got to really love. You got to love Jan Winter absolutely refusing to even consider to put Ted Nugent in. I do love that. I like okay. that idea. Yeah, I hats off to Yom on that one. Um, what does he get in for anyway? Wang Dang Sweet Poontang? Well, it? again, when we go back to some of the peccadillos that people like Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis and R. Kelly had, yeah. we might put him in the same category, right? Of course. I have an old copy of Cream, and I've thought of like unearthing this and sending it to some journalist where Ted confesses to killing two guys <laughs> he's, just he's, to watch them die yeah. I think, 
Yeah. He's been lying. His wife and baby daughter. Didn't he? He used to tell this story about getting out of Vietnam by like shitting his pants for three days or something. It wasn't just a complete. All the guy's done is lie for years and years and years and years about all this stuff in his career. I think the only thing he's told is the truth about was being in love with underage girls. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He never, you know, he was never into drugs, never did the alcohol thing, but his drug was teenage girls. Exactly. And, uh, but, and, and he pleads ignorance of what the song, you know, Journey to the Center of the Mind was about on an album cover that had drug paraphernalia on the cover. You know that? The <laughs> yeah. Amboy Duke second album? That's great. Which yeah, that that happens to be a good song, you know, in and of itself. It's a great, a great AM song. radio classic. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I but. love I'd love the Amboy Duke stuff because there are other people in the band. He was a great guitarist and he wasn't flaunting his you know right wing political stuff at that time. But yeah. another one that's not in the monkeys. I you know, yeah. don't the monkeys belong in the rock and roll? At, at, at this point, well, uh, uh, until they're all dead, no. <laughs> <laughs> with them all dead. It's to, my that's now. that's my that's my standard. Nicky. Yeah, that's yeah. my that, that's my bitch about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Like Kenny Stabler was my favorite quarterback of all time, and they literally put almost every teammate that Kenny Stabler had with the Oakland Raiders in the Hall of Fame. And then the year after he dies, oh yeah, you the quarterback. Yeah, you, yeah. Even right. the punter, by the way, for the Oakland Raiders made it into the Hall of Fame before Kenneth Michael Stabler. Did. Wow, man, <laughs> man. So, so, so that's what that's what makes you know that that's the kind of stuff that grinds my gears well tell tell me about some of the people that you met maybe some people that you uh, hadn't seen in a while when you were in la oh uh met uh i didn't really meet any celebs or you know musicians or anything like that they were all sort of squirreled off in their own kind of backstage right area and unlike i was saying in in new in cleveland it's it's more um interactive you know where they're there and they're around you and they're at tables nearby you and it wasn't like that in in los angeles didn't have that access where do they have it at where they they do the they had it at a place that used to be called the nokia arena now it's the microsoft arena and it's in this area of downtown la called la live where there's all these jesus clubs and you know performance spaces and restaurants and you know, it's it's several acres of of uh, of performance spaces, and when you got back, uh, when you got back home, do you have to take one of those Karen Silkwood showers to wash all the wash all the pretentiousness off of you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, did we did we talk about Lester Bangs last time? Mm, I don't. He think- was because he was a good bit older than you. But did you ever get the opportunity to meet him? Um, I I did not. Not a lot, but he was helping to bail out my mentor, who was a writer named Paul Nelson. And so Paul was he Nelson. as nuts? Was, was he as crazy as everybody says that he was? He, he, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays him in the almost famous movie. Right, right. And I thought did a good job. Um, wh- the Lester that I knew, because I was I, I would stick around after hours at Rolling Stone and work on some of the first writing I was doing, music yeah. writing. and. Uh, it was for a rock encyclopedia. I wasn't even writing for Rolling Stone at that point. I was in the copy department. So uh, Paul Nelson got 
Lester, his good friend Lester, to help him write this biography of Rod Stewart. Speaking of Rod Stewart, because wow. uh, Paul just had a total writer's block, shut down, couldn't couldn't write. And Lester, you know, Lester, his fingers never stopped moving over the keyboard. You know, I'm envious of somebody who can just full stream of consciousness. Right. Well, so Lester would come in and he'd be in the office next to mine, banging away on the selectric typewriter because that's you know we're talking early 80s late 70s um and i he's always been one of my heroes I, i've loved his writing i i some ways have kind of drawn from it and you know i've him and kerouac are probably my two favorite there was like right. a whole generation. It was guys like you and Cameron who, who idolized that guy. I mean, it seems mm-hmm. like there were a lot of people that just loved that guy. And he seemed like just the most manic, crazy, like everything that you heard it was. And he was like a total permit fun me, guy. Permit me. I'm looking at a, a New Yorker piece from 2012 about yeah. Lester Bangs. Yes. Uh-huh. A wreck of a man right up until his death in April of 82 at the age of go. 33. There he was go. fat, sweaty, unkempt, an out-of-control alcoholic in torn <laughs> jeans and a too small black leather jacket. Crocked to the gills on the Romilar cough syrup that he swigged down by the bottle. He also <laughs> had the most advanced and exquisite taste of any American writer of his generation, uneven and erratic as it was. Is that... Is that a fair assessment there in one paragraph? Yeah, that's a fair assessment. And he could say things about records. He could find insights into records that uh, you, you would never have thought to make yourself, you know. And he would illuminate them in a way with, with language. I mean, quite apart from being larger than life, wastrel sort of guy that he's depicted to be, his uh, the writing, I, I thought, was uh, had a lot of... Uh, uh, depth and insight and humor and you know in some ways his writing about the records was better than the record itself you know? wow uh, yeah his his best writing was done at cream incidentally cream magazine in detroit uh, back when he had free reign i didn't think he the stuff he did for rolling stone i thought it was was too constrained or something but uh you know, when you're so good that your review or your writing is more memorable than what you're writing yes. about that reminds me of <laughs> of say a Ro- roger ebert i go back now and read some of roger ebert's original reviews of great movies and things like that and it is amazing how <laughs> correct he always was or you know read what he wrote when the godfather came out or something mm-hmm. like that and, mm-hmm. and bangs is probably in that same that same class and it's a it's kind of a lost art now I guess, yeah it is for the most I mean, part. now that everybody's on the internet and everybody's a critic and everybody can can write anything they want so i feel like lester was one of the early adopters of punk rock when some of the other kind of stayed writers were like i don't know about this stuff i think he dove right in right i think it was probably easy for him because he was from detroit and that's where yeah. the stooges were from and the mc5 yeah. we had a head start uh as far as appreciating Appreciating that stuff. I think it was Greel Marcus. I don't know if you've heard of Greel. Yeah. He's a longtime Rolling Stone writer and intellect, and he teaches American studies at Berkeley and has forever. But he said and he started off. He put together a uh, collection of Bang's writing. And it's, it's really nice. And he wrote the intro to it, and he says, "What would you think if I told you that the best living America uh, or the best writer in America?" wrote rock record reviews. Uh, 
That was kind of his take on uh, on on Lester. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I don't know how we top that talking about Lester Bangs here at the end, so we won't try to top it. But no, just a riot always having you on. All right. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Just, you guys are great. Just, just well, great. And and uh, by the way, if the guess who or Jethro Tull get in there, we will we will have a special moment. Have they already uh, voted next year's? No, that ballot won't yeah. come out. Uh, I don't know for probably six months or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Speaking of the guess who you do know, the drummer lives in Greensboro. Yeah. He's still here. Is he still Peterson. around? I, yeah. Have you met him? Yeah. 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 He's a nice guy. Yeah. He, he, he's and a, he's definitely still a nice guy. A guess yeah. who, you know, it's yeah. not right. Yeah. He still leads a version of the band. Um, but I agree with you. I thought there were Man, was there ever was there a better singles band in the sixties well, and seventies? And yeah, and, and you know there there are bands in the rock world that have a lot fewer major That's hits right. than they do. Yeah. And I know you don't do it just based on number of hits, but in terms of quality and longevity, you know they they really had it going on. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they they really really did. And uh, but one day one day it will happen. One day it will happen. Uh, uh, I'm partially more prejudiced to them because of their relationship with uh, my all-time favorite radio station, CKLW, in oh. Detroit. Yeah, uh, the big, the big eight, and they were one of the bands that you know, of course, came through there prominently. Canadian band and their uh, famous music director Rosalie Tremblay, who just died recently, a few years ago, and they've erected statues to her. Yeah, and, you know, she was she was the uh, program director, the music director with the golden ears. She, Bob Seger. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. Bob Seger, mm-hmm. Rosalie, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's all yeah, about, so. yeah. We'll, well, we'll, we'll never stop campaigning for these guys. Never, never, never. 